Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 65 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. Now, we have two guests today. Later, we'll have the newest member of the ROH broadcast team and the creator and host of Wrestling with Regret on YouTube, Brian Zane. But first, making her second appearance on the ROH Strong Podcast, we have one of the mainstays of the ROH women's division and a participant in the upcoming ROH Women's World Title Tournament. She is one half of the allure, the exotic goddess, Mandy Leone. Mandy, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me again. Yes, it is great to have you on the show again because, uh, well, it's always great to, to talk to you, Mandy, but you're, you're in the news. So let's just get right to it because you're facing Quinn McKay on Ring of Honor TV this weekend. And let's let everybody know that, uh, obviously check your local listings for your local Sinclair station, uh, but you can also watch it with uh, other Ring of Honor fans and the Ring of Honor stars on Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you watch it on uh, rohwrestling.com and start it at seven o'clock on the dot, you can uh, follow along on Twitter, hashtag watch ROH. All right, so now that we got that out of the way, yeah, let me um, let me clarify something though, Kevin. Sure. Quinn is Quinn is facing me in the ring. I'm okay. not facing Quinn. Quinn is facing me. Okay. All right. I just well, to clarify I, that. Well, I mean, okay, it's you know, you depends on how you look at it. Um, but okay, we'll go with that. Quinn is facing you, and certainly, yes, you are the veteran here. You've been around in Ring of Honor. You paid your dues. Quinn has only had one match at this point, so yes, I will concede that to you that Quinn is facing you. But let's talk about the stakes for this match, because they're high. If Quinn wins, she will receive a ticket to gold and be a competitor in the women's tournament. So, Mandy, what are, you, what are your uh, – Okay, well, well, I mean, what are, you, what are your thoughts other than it's, it's hilarious? What do you think about this match against Quinn coming up? Honestly, it's just it's just played out at this point. And I've told Quinn over and over again, all she had to do in her match with Angelina Love was win. That's all she had to do. She begged for that match. She purposely put out this different kind of aura to fans. You know, she's always putting on this, I'm such a good girl. I just want to be liked by everybody. But you didn't see that when it came to Angelina Love and I, because on her little show on YouTube, she had a lot to say about us. And there was just this, this different attitude came from her, right? So all she had to do was win that match. And she wants to blame everybody else but herself for losing. And she blames me for losing, which is really, really funny because the one thing you don't do in professional wrestling is point the finger at other people. It doesn't matter who runs into a match. It doesn't matter who's ringside. It doesn't matter if Casper the Friendly Ghost shows up. It doesn't matter what happens. At the end of the day, when you're in the ring and you're facing your opponent, your only goal in that match should be to win, right? Did she do that? No. Is that my fault? No. But if she wants a match with me, like I said in my interview, she can stay and get her ass beat. 
It's that simple. And the fact that she really thinks after having just one match and a little bit of training at the ROH Dojo that she can compete in this tournament and actually have a shot at the world championship, that's hilarious to me. It's hilarious. Okay. Well, let me address a couple of things that you said. And Mandy, look, I'm going to have to, you know, I, I do have a legitimate journalism background, so I'm not going to just lob softball questions to you on the podcast today. So one thing you said I definitely agree with is that you don't make excuses. You don't point fingers. And, and I don't think Quinn has really done that. Okay. I think what she stated was what everyone watching saw. And, and you did get, you, you did interject yourself into that match. You did. Distract. I didn't touch her. Did I touch her? No, I didn't say you touched her. I didn't touch her. Did I was just there. I was just there talking. I didn't say anything. I didn't say nothing. I didn't say nothing. Her, again, her only goal should have been getting that pinfall. She released that submission. That's her fault. That's not my fault. No, you're right with that. I agree with you on that. She should not have released the hold. But I think that goes to her inexperience. And I think that goes to her. She let her emotions get the best of her. But exactly. Mandy, let's be, honest. let's be honest. You did jump up on the apron, which you had no business doing. I mean... Hey, the referee didn't say nothing about it, so it was perfectly fine, right? As long to me, in my eyes, as long as I don't step between those ropes, if I don't touch her, I'm not interfering. Would you concede this point? Quinn McKay surprised you in how effective she was against Angelina, because let's be honest, had you we don't know what would have happened had you not distracted Quinn and, and she released that hold. Angelina could very well have tapped out. Whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, Kevin, watch your mouth, okay? When, when you speak of the allure, watch your mouth, okay? I, I like you, but, but you're, getting, you're getting a little out of hand here. At the end of the day, like you said, the allure has the veteran experience here. Quinn's had one match. Do you really think that Angelina was going to lose? Whether I quote-unquote interfered, which is hilarious or not, of course Angelina was going to win that match regardless. Angelina doesn't need me, and I don't need Angelina. You know what? Again, I will agree with you. I've always said how great I think the allure is, and I'm not blowing smoke here. Like, your track record speaks for itself. Angelina's track record speaks for itself. I told Quinn on this show and in print in my uh, X-Files articles, I did think it was ridiculous that she thought she had a chance to beat Angelina. And I thought she was going to get hurt getting in the ring with Angelina. But here's the thing. I can admit when I was wrong and Quinn made a believer out of me. She did far better in that match than I expected her to. And she did when, no matter what anybody wants to say, she gave Angelina some anxious moments in that match and I think that's why, again, just my opinion as an observer, I think that's why you needed to interject yourself, maybe not well, physically. you're wrong, okay? Sorry. I highly disagree. Quinn was not that impressive. Wow. No. And at the end of the day, if you're making your ROH debut on TV, yeah, you should bring a little bit of juice behind you because there are high standards in Ring of Honor. Sure. So, Man, but I really wasn't that impressed by Quinn McKay. I mean. Really, break. honestly, say that Quinn didn't surprise you a little bit? No, absolutely not. 
Okay. Well, that's an area where I guess we're going to have to agree to disagree because she did way better than I thought she was going to do. And, um, and honestly, I, I, I think she deserves this second chance that ROH board of directors member Maria. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you and everybody thinks that Quinn deserves another chance. She deserves this big opportunity to be in the title picture, even though she had one match. And now she's going into her second match with this huge ego. And it's just hilarious to me. All I can say is all of this. I keep saying it over and over. It's hilarious because like I said, would you make a construction worker a backstage interviewer? Would you, Kevin, Kevin, you're a journalist. Would you just like grab Brian Johnson or someone from the roster or like anybody from off the street and make them a journalist for our website? No. So why are we trying to make a backstage interviewer a professional wrestler so bad? And you know what? If Quinn has that dream, if she wants to make the transition, I'm not here to judge. Okay, I get it. Like when I first started, I know she called me out on it. I was a backstage interviewer. I trained at the ROH Dojo. That's how I got into professional wrestling. But my one goal coming to Ring of Honor was to always be a professional wrestler. Always. Okay. And I earned my respect absolutely 100%. But what has Quinn done? If you put Quinn against myself or Angelina Love, we've traveled the world. We've wrestled everywhere. We've shaken hands with some of the best athletes out there and legends and icons. And Quinn? Quinn deserves a title shot because she's had one glorious match with Angelina Love. I mean, I got to say, the only reason why Quinn looked so good in that match was because Angelina Love and I were out there with her. <laughs> she doesn't have, she doesn't deserve that opportunity. She doesn't deserve it. She doesn't deserve it, period. Okay. All right. There's a lot to take in there. Let me, let me address a couple of your points. Um, does she deserve a title shot? No. no. I agree with you again, 100%. She has not earned a title shot. What I think she has earned is an opportunity for a title shot. She deserves an opportunity to face you. And look, again, Mandy, I'm a fan of your work, okay? You've been around Ring of Honor. You, you are, in many ways, you, you embody uh, the women's division in Ring of Honor. This is not a gimme. Uh, Quinn is going to have to beat an accomplished veteran, such as yourself, to get in the tournament. And if she does that, she absolutely deserves a spot in the tournament. But of course, that's easier said than done. So look, if you take care of business and you win the match, then Quinn, Quinn won't get in, and she will not be deserving of that. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And, and, and yes, let me, let me just interrupt you again here because this is great. I'll give, uh, instead of wasting my breath here, I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to Quinn, okay? She earned her opportunity. She has a second chance to be in the tournament, and she's going to face me. Kudos to Quinn. And you're right. All that it boils down to at the end of the day Talk is cheap, and it's about what you do. Your actions speak louder than words, right? So when Quinn steps into that ring, excuse me, excuse me, when Quinn steps into the Allure's ring and she has that second opportunity, one, she's going to lose, and that's all you need to know. Two, that is, that's an opportunity for her to prove herself again. And if she doesn't prove herself and she loses again, should she have a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh opportunity to be in the tournament? No, it should end there. But you know, with Maria Canellas on the board of directors, you just never know what's going to happen. But what I can tell you is that the allure is not going to lose a second time. 
first, third, seventh, whatever it's going to be. Quinn will always lose. Okay, well, that remains to be seen. We'll find out this this coming weekend on Ring of Honor TV. We will find out who, who's going to win the match. And, yeah, I mean, like you said, Quinn is is no doubt about it. Quinn's the underdog here. And should she get a third or fourth opportunity if she doesn't beat you? No, I don't think she should. I think, you know, two chances at this point in her still early development of her in-ring career, that's all she could ask for is, is two chances. And I don't think maybe, you know, she really deserves any more than that at this point. But, Mandy, let me – I just want to ask you straight up. I mean, look, with all your experience and your in-ring accomplishments – and, look, every, for people who don't know, like, you've wrestled all over the – you've been in stardom in Japan and done well over there. So there's no doubt about it. You are a world-class athlete. Quinn, very little experience. I don't know that she's even had 10 matches, right, in her career. So would you – give me your word right now on the ROH Strong podcast – that you will at least play it fair. We don't need fair. We don't need we don't need Angelina outside the ring. You don't need and you really someone of of with your accomplishments and your ability should not need any help whatsoever to be Quinn. A, a, am I right? Is that fair in saying? Well, I'll give you that. I don't need anybody to help me win a match. I can win a match on my own. Angelina doesn't need anybody to help her win a match. She can win a match on her own. So what it boils down to, though, like I've been saying, and if we look back in the history books, Kevin, how many times have I gotten cheated out of titles? If you look at our first tournament, I was cheated out of a title there. I made my opponent tap, but the referee didn't see it. I should have been in the finals. In England, I won the title. Todd Sinclair took that away from me because of how it happened. But did I throw a hissy fit about it? Did I cry and blame other people? Did I sit here and take responsibility for myself? Yes, because that's what an athlete does. I never blamed anybody else for anything that happened or for what the referees called in the ring. So when I wrestle Quinn, and if anything happens – what it boils down to again is how professional can you be in that ring and where is your mindset? The only thing that should be on Quinn's mind going into this match with me is going into that championship tournament. And if she gets distracted in any way, shape or form that has nothing to do with the allure, her focus should be getting the pinfall and winning. And if she doesn't, she has nobody to blame but herself period. If she gets distracted the way she did against Angelina, I agree again. Uh, she has no one to blame but herself. But I have a feeling that Quinn learned a lesson from that first match against Angelina and won't be so easily distracted this time. That's my opinion. I think Quinn is, uh, is actually pretty sharp, and I, I think she will learn from her mistakes. But you brought up something else that I want to I touch on, and I'm glad you brought it up and I didn't have to, which is you started out very similar to Quinn. You started out at the ROH Dojo, but you didn't jump into the ring right away. You had to earn a spot and you started off doing other things like being a backstage interviewer, just like Quinn is doing. Quinn has the same dream that you had, which is to be an in-ring competitor. But she was offered a backstage interviewer spot And she, you know, as she said, I don't need to speak for her. She has said this. She wanted to give that opportunity 100%. So she put her wrestling dreams on hold to pursue and to give 100% to being an interviewer and a host. Uh, And she's obviously done very well with that. But she never gave up the idea or the dream 
of getting in the ring. And I would think you, of all people, of anyone on this roster, could understand Quinn's passion and, and her desire to eventually become a full-time member of this roster. I feel like you have a lot more in common with Quinn McKay than you do with Angelina Love. I disagree, and I'll tell you why I disagree. Because when I first started here, my only goal was to have a women's division here. I got introduced to this because my only opportunity here at the time was to do backstage interviewing until I can convince ROH that we deserve to have a women's division here. And I fought to have women's wrestling in Ring of Honor. That's the difference. I worked my ass off to prove myself and wear as many hats as I could in this company. Quinn came into this as a broadcaster. I don't know what her goals were when she started here, but she was fortunate enough to have an opportunity where there was women's wrestling here. And she decided one day she woke up and said she wants to be a wrestler. And that's fine. A lot of people come into wrestling and they want to try it. There's referees. They want to try wrestling. There's announcers. They want to try wrestling. They try it. They're good at it. They're bad at it. They stay. They leave. They come. They go. I've seen girls come in and out of here all the time. I don't care what your dreams are here. I don't care what my dreams were here. What I care about is now. And if you want to prove yourself and you want to be here now, then do that. Do the work. But for Quinn to have this ego of a veteran and she's only had less than, what, five, three, two matches, that's where I have to say calm down, okay? Her ego is a little high strung right now. She's got a lot of confidence. I don't care. Prove yourself in the ring. If you want to earn my respect, if you want my old school Mandy handshake and my stamp of approval of you being in our women's roster, prove yourself to me. Earn my respect. Maybe, maybe I'll consider shaking your hand and saying, okay, Quinn's a wrestler. She deserves to be here. But until that happens, I don't respect Quinn. Okay, okay. And look, again, I, I see your point. And I think, you know, all she wants is that opportunity, opportunity to earn your respect. I don't think Quinn, you know, again, I'll disagree with you on this. I don't think she has a huge ego. I don't think she wants to be handed anything. I think she wants to earn it. And look who she has to earn it against. Well, she's sure got a mouth on her, Kevin. You can agree on that, can't you? Look, she's again, a little disrespectful at times. You know what? I have told her, again, on this podcast, and I've written it, that I think she was asking for trouble. And this was before the attack on set when, uh, when you and uh, Angelina attacked her on the ROH week-by-week set. I saw that coming. And I tried to warn her that if you continue to poke the bear, you have to know that something like that is going to happen. And, and it did happen. So exactly. But, exactly. But, but let's, again, let's not rewrite history here. It wasn't that Quinn just decided, hey, I have it out for the allure. I'm going to take shots at them every chance I can get. You and Angelina, were you basically singled her out from day one. You whoa, gave- whoa, 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 whoa. We never singled her out. Let me, let me clarify something here. If anything, we're making Quinn's career right now because Quinn never had an opportunity to be a professional wrestler before the allure. And it's funny because now it's kind of like this manipulative little game. And I, and I said this in my sit-down interview, and I'll say it again. Quinn always plays the nice girl. 
the nice girl that wants everybody to like her, right? She plays all the fields. She's playing these manipulating games so that everyone can think she's this good girl. But when it came to us, we never did anything to Quinn, but she wants to jump on her show and talk smack about the allure. And that's fine. And she knew deep down inside. I truly believe Quinn knew deep down inside that when you talk about the allure, they're going to come face to face with you. They're going to confront you and something's going to happen, which led to the attacks on her set. Correct? And I think deep down inside, Quinn knew that her only way to get an opportunity in Ring of Honor was to poke the bear of the allure, so to say, and get that opportunity because she knew she knew we wanted to fight her at that point, right? So if anything, she should be thankful because we're giving her the opportunity in my eyes. Okay. Well, you know, maybe uh, it's, it's entirely possible in my old age, Mandy, that, that my memory is a little skewed, but I seem to remember from the very first interview, the first time Mandy, I'm sorry, the first time Quinn interviewed yourself and Angelina and Velvet Sky, who was around at the time in the allure, you guys immediately bullied her and picked on her and made fun of her bow tie. And, and like you guys had it out for her right from the start when she was just trying to do her job and interview you. Am I not remembering that correctly? I don't think you are because honestly, in my eyes, if someone's going to come up to me with a bow tie on backstage, the veteran in us is going to tell her that it just looks stupid. And I don't think there's anything wrong with me saying, dude, like your bow tie looks stupid. Take it off. I don't think that's bullying. I think that's keeping it real. And that's a problem in professional wrestling right now is that people are a little too soft and get their feelings hurt easily. That's just us keeping it real with her. Take the bow tie off. Well, maybe you could have, you know, been a friend and said that to her off air. Rather than I'm not looking for friends. Well, that's wrestling. Well, it is wrestling business, not wrestling friends. I'm, I, I, I can't disagree with you on that point either. Uh, but let me ask you this question. And, you know, please, again, I, I don't want to offend you with this, but is it possible because the fans have gotten behind Quinn so much, maybe in a way that they never did with you? Is, is there some jealousy perhaps? There's no jealousy, honey. And it's funny because we haven't even had fans at our show. So how would fans be behind Quinn McKay? What, because social media likes Quinn McKay? That's social media funny. loves, they love Quinn McKay. Okay. No, I'm not jealous in any way, shape, or form. Good girl, bad girl. Fans love me. And if they don't love me, they love to hate me. And that's perfectly fine. Okay. All right. Well, um, we're going to take our first break. And then uh, we'll be back with more of this illuminating, interesting conversation with Mandy Leon. Let's roll, America. Roll up your sleeves to give blood. You can help save lives of patients that depend on blood every single day. Ring of Honor Wrestling has once again teamed up with American Red Cross for Sinclair Cares Roll Up Your Sleeves. Make an appointment today to donate blood. Your donation will help save lives and impact countless more. Go to SinclairCares.com to schedule your appointment now. All right, we're back on the ROH Strong Podcast with Mandy Leon of the Allure. Mandy, let's talk about this match coming up again this this weekend on Ring of Honor TV, yourself against Quinn McKay. Let me make sure I say it correctly. Quinn McKay is facing you. You're not facing Quinn McKay. Did, did I 
get it correct this time? When McKay is facing me, yes. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about just uh, let's talk about uh, your in ring for a second, not Quinn. Let's let's move her to the side. My research says you haven't had a match since January 2020. Uh, are you worried at all about ring rust? No. <laughs> not at all. Okay. Is that a joke? <laughs> no, it's a serious question. I mean, you, you haven't been in the ring in a year and a half. Obviously, Quinn was in the ring. I mean, our entire roster hasn't been in the ring in a year and a half. Do you see the makes of Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham? Did they have any ring rust on them? No. Well, I'm perfectly fine. I, I'm perfectly capable. Thank you. All right. I would just say this. This is my, uh, not that you asked my opinion or my advice, because I know you probably don't value it, but. I would not underestimate Quinn because I feel maybe that's a mistake that Angelina made and that got her into a little bit of trouble in that match that who knows, maybe someone with Angelina's skill level and experience level, maybe she shouldn't have been in any trouble against someone as inexperienced as Quinn, but I think she underestimated her. And, you know, I, I, I just, I don't want to see you make that same mistake. I don't make mistakes, Kevin. <laughs> okay. All right, well, let's move off of Quinn for a second, and let's talk about someone else in Ring of Honor that you and Angelina don't seem to get along with, and that's Maria Canellas bennett who is on the board of directors. The board of directors, yeah. She says it every chance she gets, I know. (laughs) Well, it's true. Uh, And she's also in charge of the women's division. So let me ask you this question. Mandy, I know you're an intelligent person, but does it seem like a smart thing to do for you and Angelina to immediately make an enemy of Maria who has power in Ring of Honor and certainly in the women's division. Like, that just doesn't seem like a good move. I don't think we're making enemies at all, actually. I think we're very friendly. Yeah. And I don't see how we're making an enemy at all out of Maria. <laughs> I mean, we, we even got a commentary with her. We helped with the Maxi Impaler match with Ali Rex on YouTube, which was phenomenal. Ali Rex won another opportunity. We gave it to her. I mean, if anything, Angelina and I should, like, be on the board of directors with Maria. I think we get along great. I mean, we're working our magic. <laughs> Well, I, I don't mean to laugh. I'm sorry. But again, maybe it's my, you know, my old age, my memory isn't, you know, as great as it used to be. But I seem to remember Maria's first appearance in the ring. You and, and Angelina came out uninvited and immediately started insulting her. I mean, we weren't insulting right? her. We were just letting her know what it is. Again, people are just so soft. They don't understand Angelina and I tell it how it is. Maria came back. She left the company like several years ago. Remember when she walked out on Ring of Honor and she comes back now and she wants all this power and control? A lot has changed. And while she was gone, Angelina and I were putting in the work on the division. And we were just letting her know what the deal is. That's all. Okay. Well, let me be frank. Mandy, like, let's be honest. You and I, We've known each other for a few years now, and I always thought you were a nice person. Like you said, you and I, I mean, I think we always got along, but you seem to be a different person than the person that I knew before Angelina showed up. It seemed like your attitude just changed completely because, and, and I said this earlier today, you were the embodiment of what Women of Honor was all about. And now it seems like you've kind of, you know, it was all about honor. It was about integrity. and I think ever since you 
joined forces with Angelina, it's you, you're, you've changed. And I, and again, just my opinion, not necessarily for the better. Well, that's your opinion. And I'll say it like this. I've been here for years and you're correct. I was all about honor and loyalty to ring of honor and cheers to the women's division and go team. And you know what that got me, Kevin? It got me nothing. At the end of the day, it got me hurt. It got me stepped on. It got me used. It got me abused. I, I don't need that. I don't need that. And, and when I had the few months off that I did, it was kind of an epiphany for me, right? Why am I helping all of these people succeed when they can care less about me? I'm about honor. I'm about loyalty to this company. And all I got in return from the other women that came in and out of this company was nothing but hate, but jealousy, but being stomped all over. And I was done with it. And my time sitting at home, I decided to make a change. No more nice girl. And when it came to Madison Square Garden, I called up two of the hottest girls of professional wrestling. I invited Angelina and Velvet to Ring of Honor. They accepted, and we decided we were going to come in here and dominate. Velvet's no longer here, unfortunately, but Angelina and I have been doing just that. We've been dominating the division. And just because Maria Canellis is here now, that's not going to change. It's called growing up. I'm not the same little girl that started off here almost 10 years ago. I'm grown now. And the grown Mandy Leon does not seek validation. Like I said, I don't seek friendships and I don't seek attention. I just want to win and I'm going to go and win at any means necessary. And whoever doesn't like it and whoever doesn't like me, I don't care because at the end of the day in professional wrestling, nobody really likes anybody. So why am I going to come here and try to make friends? My only goal is to win. And that should be Quinn's only goal is to win. Okay. So winning with honor, that's, that's passe now, I guess. Oh, there's honor. <laughs> but it's honor for myself. <laughs> to me, honor now means to me is winning by any means necessary because that's what a champion does. Okay. I, I'm not sure that fits the definition of, of honor, but maybe, maybe to you it does. Uh, I don't it does. Know. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let, you know, you said your only goal is to win. So let's talk about winning. Let's talk about the tournament that's upcoming. Um, what would it mean to you if you were to win this tournament and become the Ring of Honor Women's World Champion? Can you, can you put into words what that would mean for you to accomplish that goal? I mean, it's due. It's due time, isn't it? It's due time. Who better to be your women's champion than Mandy Leon at this point? Let's, let's keep it real here. If we look back in history, since you keep talking about the nice Mandy and the honorable Mandy, did that get me a championship? Was I deserving of it back then? Absolutely. Was I the only one loyal to this company and, and put in the work back then? Absolutely. Did it get me the title? Did my work and, and, and my loyalty when people – and referees had conspiracies around me. Absolutely not. Now going into this, that's my goal. Yes. But, you know, I, I guess we'll just have to see. What's it going to mean to me? It's going to mean, yeah, it's about time. That's what it's going to mean to me. Okay. Well, let's address the elephant in the room because... But wait, wait, wait. Before you finish, though, let me, let me just say this. Yes. <laughs> the old school saying goes that the belt doesn't make the champion, correct? That's right. Right. So... 
if for God forbid any other reason, which just isn't going to happen, I don't win the tournament. I guess, you know, we'll just see what happens in the future. Is Mandy Leon going to stay in Ring of Honor? Is Mandy Leon going to go? You know, we'll just have to wait and see. But I will win. And if I don't win, Angelina's going to win. And you know what that means? Either way, if Angelina loses and I win, or if I lose and Angelina wins, the belt is coming back to the allure. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Well, you may have anticipated my next question because, again, I want to address the elephant in the room. Angelina Love is also in this tournament. Angelina Love also desperately wants to regain the championship that she held before. She is a seven-time world champion, a one-time champion here in Ring of Honor. Let's just say, hypothetically, you and Angelina were to face each other in the tournament. And I don't know whether I should say that as Angelina facing you or you facing Angelina. I'm not sure how that's supposed to go. But let's just say that match were to happen. What would that mean for the allure? I mean, again, it's, it's like I said, the belt's going to come back to the allure regardless. And her and I have had this conversation and numerous people have asked me this question. And it's like, oh, what if you face Angelina in the tournament? Blah, 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 blah. Because that's every fan's dream, right? It doesn't matter. Her and I have talked. This is business at the end of the day. There's only one goal for Angelina and I, and that's to bring the belt back to the allure, period. So there's not going to be any personal feelings if she wins or if I win, because the goal is met. We have the gold, period. That's all that matters. Okay. All right. So no jealousy whatsoever if Angelina has that championship. and you're No. Still- no? Okay. All right. Okay. That's, you know, well, I guess we will, uh, we'll never know until that, that scenario actually happens. But let me ask you about um, a few other women that are in this tournament, a few of the other competitors. I just want to get your take on some of them, some that may, I may consider uh, maybe the favorite. So let, let me ask you first about the youngest competitor in the tournament. She's only 19 years old. She was the first one to get a ticket to gold, Roxy. W- what's your take on her? Well, now that I can calm down a little bit after those ridiculous questions you're asking me about Quinn McKay, I'm a little hyped up right now. I'll bring it down a little bit, okay. and I'll try to keep things honest here about the other competitors. And I will say, Roxy has been impressive so far. Is she worthy and have the approval of the allure? I don't know yet, but from what I've seen from her on YouTube for our Women's Division Wednesdays, I like Roxy. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate your honesty on that. I think, I think Roxy is, uh, man, for someone who's 19 years old, she's certainly uh, proved that. She's got I think, potential, and yeah. Quinn can learn a lot from that. <laughs> okay. All right. Hey, maybe she could. I, I guess that we could probably all learn from each other. Who knows? All right. Let me ask you about a couple other ones. Allison Kay. Uh, she's been a champion in other places. Uh, she's in this tournament. I think she has to be considered one of the favorites. Thoughts on Allison Kay? I think she's a good choice. You know, she's a badass. And if there's one good decision that Maria made, it was Allison Kay. Allison Kay's got the experience under her belt. You know, she's been wrestling for years and she's known to be a badass. So yeah, Allison Kay definitely deserves to be here. Unlike Quinn McKay. Well, would you, you just said maybe one good decision by Maria Canales Bennett. Well, let me, let me say we were the good decisions other than us. That was a good decision. Andy, you were great at anticipating my next thoughts. Cause that's what I was going to say. She did put you in the tournament. 
she did put Angelina in tournament, even set up so, so that she could get a first round bye, which she did earn by beating Quinn McKay. So uh, look, can we give Maria Canales Bennett credit for this? She overlooked her personal feelings about you and Angelina and put you guys in the tournament because you deserve it. So I would say kudos to Maria Canales Bennett for that. Would, would you agree? I wouldn't say kudos. I would say common sense. Why wouldn't you put your top stars in a tournament? Well, you, you should, unless their behavior maybe dictates otherwise. Because Maria has said she's all, I heard Maria say she's all about the rules and integrity and honor. And let's be honest, you just said a few minutes ago that it's not necessarily about that with the allure. Listen, it's wrestling. <laughs> win how you gotta win. Look at Rouge and you know, look at that look at that whole faction. Rouge wins at any means necessary, and that's why he's been such a dominating champion here in Ring of Honor. And that's exactly what we do. Okay. But you know, a lot of times, Mandy, again, I'm gonna play devil's advocate. A lot of times when people have no other argument or they want to justify their own actions, they do the what about thing. It's like, well, what about them? They cheat. That's not really a good defense, is it? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We're not doing anything different. You know, would you question Rouge the same way you're questioning me? Uh, no, not if I was certainly standing in front of him, I wouldn't. No. Okay, maybe not even if I was standing in front of you, <laughs> I wouldn't do it. So, you know, luckily we're, we're not in the same room here. So maybe I feel emboldened to, to ask you these tough questions. Let me ask you about a couple other competitors. Nicole Savoy. Now, there's someone who's been a champion in Shimmer. She's had some matches in, in Ring of Honor. Uh, I don't know if I should bring this up, but I do believe she actually defeated Angelina Love before we went on hiatus. So, I mean, I would think Nicole has to be. And she was, you and her share something in common. You were given your tickets to gold on the same episode of Women's Division Wednesday. So uh, what do you think about Nicole's chances? Did she defeat Angelina? I don't recall that. I don't think that ever happened. Um, I guess it's a good choice. I don't know. I'm not really that impressed with Nicole. I think I have to see more of her here, to be honest. Huh. Okay. Well, you know, she's, she's like yourself a veteran. I think she has a pretty true, uh, proven track record, but okay. I mean, like I've said with the, the last two competitors, she's got a lot more experience than Quinn. So good job there. Okay. All right. Well, look, I mean, I guess we could say that about every competitor in the tournament. So yes, if it came down to experience, Yes, Quinn is, if, if, if Quinn were to get into the tournament, which of course, that's a big if, she has to beat you. But if she got in, she would probably be the least experienced competitor. That's, that's a fair point. Let me ask you about one other competitor. And this is someone that apparently you and Angelina have some type of dealings with or some kind of backdoor deal that was made with Amy Rose. I don't know exactly what's going on there, but talking about Max the Impaler. Now, I, I got to assume Max is not someone you would want to be standing across the room. I mean, she's a beast, huh? Yeah. And I'll, t I'll tell you this. I think the only person that Angelina and I actually like in the women's division is Amy Rose because she's an excellent manager. She gets the job done. She has an eye for talent. And if you look at her history, she's gotten her last faction pretty much close to like all the belts in Ring of Honor. So she knows what she's doing. And when it comes to Max, she knows what she's doing. And yeah, maybe, you know, we set up a little deal. You never know. But right now, I like Max. I like Amy. And I love that Max is in the tournament because I can see her. I mean, not us, obviously, but I can see her dominating a lot of these, you know, little new chicks that want to come into the company. Yeah. So she's great. 
what was, let me just ask you that. What was the deal there with um, setting up Ali Rex like that? Who, again, just somebody. I mean, it's, hey, we wanted to give, this is what I was telling you earlier. We just, the allure loves to give opportunities here. Angelina and I love to give people opportunities. And, you know, Maria's on the board of directors and we just thought we would, you know, give her a little helping hand. And Ali was begging us for another opportunity here. So why not? Bring out Amy Rose and her newest client, so to say, Maxie Impaler, and do business. We gave Allie another opportunity. She's, she should be thankful for that, right? That's one way to spin it. That's one exactly. way to Exactly. Look, I mean, the allure is all about giving opportunities here. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I mean, with those kind of opportunities, geez, I don't, I don't know that uh, – an opportunity is the greatest thing. If that's, if that's the kind of opportunities you guys are going to give out, seems like you certainly set her up. And uh, I don't know that she really deserved that. I think she was legitimately just trying to earn her spot into the, into the women's tournament. And, and again, I thought Allie Rex looked pretty good against, again, a veteran like Angelina. Allie did great. But at the end of the day, as a professional wrestler, you're going to face people of all shapes and sizes. And if she can't handle not only Angelina and she can't handle Maxine Impaler, then does she really deserve to be here? Well, maybe facing those two on separate days, not one where, not one right after the other. I mean, Mm. you just get out of the ring with a seven. Well, not even out of the ring. She was still in the ring. You just finished a match with a seven time world champion. And then here comes Max. I mean, I don't know that that was necessarily a fair opportunity. But hey, I, I guess it's just my own mindset and how the allure thinks because to me, my mindset is to win at all costs and any means necessary. And you just got to do what you got to do. It doesn't matter how many times you get knocked down. You got to keep getting up and win the match. And if these girls can't do that and they can't get that mindset, it's not my problem. Okay. So kind of like a form of tough love, in other words. I guess. Okay. Maybe not, maybe not love, but just tough. Okay. All right, Mandy. Well, Hey, look, you've been gracious. You've answered all my questions. I appreciate that. I am gracious. Thank you. Thank you. You finally gave me a compliment. I appreciate that. I've given you lots of compliments and I've never taken away from your ability, your attitude since Angelina showed up. I question somewhat. I, I don't think you're the same person that you, that I used to know, but you know, that's okay. Like you said, you, we all evolve and, and you're, the way you worded it, we grow up. I don't know that I'd necessarily categorize it quite like that. But, you know, I, I would never take away from, from your ability. Look, you could very easily win this tournament. Certainly wouldn't surprise anyone. Uh, but before I let you go, is there, um, is there anything you want to you wanna plug or tell people where they can follow you? Yeah, if you guys want some real conversation and fun, check me out on Twitter. It's at MandyLeonXO. On Instagram, it's at Mandy Leon, and on YouTube, it's youtube.com slash Mandy Leon XO. I post a lot of fun things, unlike this interview, which was very condescending. So check me out. Well, I, I, hope, I hope it wasn't. I hope you didn't take it as condescending. It was a little condescending because, you know, you kept mentioning all these things about other athletes. It's like, what about me? You know, like, look. Ask me some real life questions. Why does everything have to be about Quinn McKay and these other competitors? Like, give me a break. Ugh, I'm done. Okay. I was going to say, is there any, any final words for the Ring of Honor fans or for Quinn herself before? No, not at all. <laughs> the only thing I have to say about Quinn is to watch your mouth. Okay. Watch your mouth, Quinn. 
lower the ego a little bit. You're still nothing but a backstage interviewer. And if you want my respect, prove yourself, period. All right. Well, I'm going to remind everybody one more time. This is a match you are not going to want to miss. Quinn McKay facing, I think I said it right this time, Quinn McKay facing Mandy Leon of the Allure. It's this weekend on Ring of Honor television. If Quinn wins, she will get the gold and be in the tournament. I know it's a big if, probably not likely, but let's just say Mandy slips on a banana peel. Who knows? Could happen. Uh, If Quinn wins, she will be in the tournament. Once again, you can watch it on Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you go on ROHwrestling.com, click on the episode at 7 p.m. sharp, then go to Twitter. You can watch along, hashtag watch ROH. Mandy, will you be watching along on your own match? Will Will you be doing that? Of course. Okay. All right. Well, Mandy, thanks again for your time. As I said, you were very gracious, and I want to wish you the best of luck against Quinn McKay. You should be wishing her luck against me, but thank you, Kevin. Okay. All right. And after this short break, we'll be back with Brian Zane. Want to hear post-match interviews from tonight's competitors? Want to see exclusive brand new matches? Want to learn about breaking news before anyone else? Week by Week is the perfect companion to everything that happens on ROH TV. It premieres every single Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern on the official ROH YouTube page. That's youtube.com slash ring of honor. Stay informed on the best wrestling on the planet. I'll see you there. All right, my next guest is the newest member of the ROH broadcast team, and he's the creator and host of the popular Wrestling With Regret YouTube channel. He is Brian Zane. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kevin. I really appreciate uh, being on here. Uh, I know we were saying before we were rolling that uh, I'm a fan of the ROH Strong Podcast. I've been secretly wanting to be on it for a while. So, uh, you know, dream come true here. And I do mean that with sincerity, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I would just say, I think you should shoot a little higher with your dreams, Brian. It's all, it's, all, it's all part of the synergy and the integration. That's true. Really just get myself more deeply rooted in the ROH culture. That's why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you that. How, how long have you been uh, with Ring of Honor now? Because, you know, with the pandemic happening, I've lost all sense of time uh, <laughs> since we were out of the loop for whatever it was, six months. Is it, it's been a couple years maybe? or Yeah, yeah. My first uh, opportunity with ROH was actually at Death Before Dishonor weekend in Las Vegas, 2019. Um, where I did some backstage interviewing uh, in the pre-show of the sh- of that event with the bouncers, and then I recorded a couple of countdowns for TV, and uh, that was a lot of fun. That was like something that kind of came very quickly that first opportunity, and since then I've been you know on and off. Uh, obviously, it's uh, then this, the pandemic happened, and those first few bubble tapings I wasn't part of that, um, but I was still trying to contribute where I could uh, remotely. And uh, yeah, I was able to make it back to the last taping and in, in, in May. And I just, I'm so excited for uh, to be part of Best in the World Weekend in Baltimore once again. It is. Uh, I don't think we can express it enough how great it is to be back in front of fans again after, geez, 18 months, I guess it was, without a yeah. live crowd. Um, you know, obviously Baltimore, Glory by Honor and Philadelphia coming up. Uh, we just had the announcement that Death Before Dishonor, uh, coming back in September in Florida. So that'll be your two-year anniversary, Death Before Dishonor. So happy anniversary on that. 
Well, thank um, you. Yes, I'm, I'm very, very happy and very privileged to be part of the crew. It's been a really, you know, I'm sure we'll talk more about it in detail, but I'm very happy to be here. And yeah, two years is coming up and uh, never thought I'd get this far. Did you have something to do with uh, the original Dan Housen backstage video where he was interviewing various Ring of Honor stars? Oh, yeah, that was my, that was my video. I filmed it. Um, That's what yeah, I that was, yeah, we were in, I believe that was Columbus. Um, we were backstage and I wanted to film something with him for a long time. And we had talked about that and, uh, you know, he didn't, uh, I didn't want to be cursed by him or anything. So we filmed this thing where he's interviewing the stars of ring of honor. And, um, yeah, I was, I'm really happy with how that one turned out. Um, some great back and forth, like with, with he and, and Bateman and he and Taven, uh, there's a lot of great stuff. Great, 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 uh, gems to be mine from that video. I'm very proud of how that turned out. Yeah, there's some great stuff with him, uh, with those people you mentioned. Also, Dalton Castle and oh, yes. uh, Quinn McKay. I know they had uh, a couple moments in that video. So I'll just be honest. I didn't know a lot about Danhausen before that video. Uh, he had come in for one match against Shane Taylor back when, I believe, when Shane was the television champion. And right. so I was, in, I was intrigued by, by Danhausen's gimmick, but I really didn't think too much about him until I saw that video. And I think that caught a lot of people's attention and I was like man we got to bring this guy in and then I saw how much of a social media following he had so Brian we could say you actually got the ball rolling on Danhausen coming to Ring of Honor so if you do nothing else in your wrestling career going forward that's a good thing to hang your hat on well you know I call myself the influencer for a reason <laughs> and uh, I that is the thing I, that I appreciate that I appreciate you telling me that because it's something that I thought for a little bit too because I know that Danhausen I met him a couple of years ago. In fact, it was in 2019. Uh, he was a participant in the Brian Zane's Million Dollar Battle Royal, uh, which happened uh, over WrestleMania weekend in Jersey. And uh, he was an entrant in that, uh, as was Maria Manic, in fact, and uh, O'Shea. So a few, uh, a few future ROH stars were in that matchup. And uh, I could just tell right away that Dan Housen had something special. And then, like, as the year went on, he leaned more into the social media thing and Got more of this following, um, you know, by the time Ring of Honor came around where he had that match against Shane, you know, I knew we had to strike while things were good. And I really wanted to get, I really wanted to help, you know, help him reach that next level. And I thought a video like that where he could be in his element, uh, doing wacky stuff with these uh, other, with the other wrestlers, that was kind of something I thought was, was kind of tailor-made for, for something like, for someone like Dan Housen. And, you know, the rest of they say is history. And now he's, Got giant sacks of money, and Dave Vonder's going to bring that blimp in any day now. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. Well, <laughs> speaking of giant sacks of money, you said the Brian Zane Million Dollar uh, Battle Royal. Did, and I'm, I'm going to put million dollars in. Uh, I'm doing air quotes right now because I, I, have, I have a feeling it was not, not really a million dollars in human money anyway. Well, you uh, don't know that. I don't know that. I, you could be independently wealthy. I, I don't know that much about you. Um, did Danhausen win that battle royal? And if so, did you pay him in large sacks of money? No, no, he didn't win that one. There was some things going on with his former stablemates of the production, and one thing led to another. And uh, an Alley Cat ended up winning that, that thing, and ah. she became she became the Wrestling with Regret YouTube champion as well. So not only did she win a giant sack of money, she also became she also won a title. So it was a you know a red letter day for for Alley Cat. <laughs> All right, well, let's start at the uh, beginning of at least your Ring of Honor career. We'll get into the beginning of uh, your wrestling fandom and your YouTube uh, career after that. But Ring of Honor, as far as that goes, 
How did this come about that you got this opportunity? It was literally a case of me just kind of like shooting my shot, I guess is the best way to put it, because uh, I had become friends with Ian Riccoboni on, on Twitter. Like we hadn't met before, but um, we'd start, you know, being in contact with each other. And I was kind of like, I just reached out to me, hey, like, do you know if Ring of Honor needs any managers or there's a demand for that? Because, you know, I've got this experience in the, on the independence as a manager and I, I think I'd be really uh, good for that. And I have a reel and everything. And um, then Ian basically said, well, you know, it turns out that, you know, management really likes, you know, your work on the channel that you do. So like people already knew who I was going into it. I wasn't going into it cold, which was a big boost for, for me and my confidence. So then I sent the, I sent the, uh, the reel out and um, yeah, they, they you know, basically said there's no room for a manager right now, but we'd love to have you on doing like interviews and stuff. And like, we have these ideas, maybe you can do count since you do countdowns for your channel, maybe you can do countdowns for our TV show. And so that's kind of how we got, that and so it's it helps that i live in reno so it was a very short plane ride from reno to vegas for death before dishonor but it was literally just yeah me kind of reaching out saying hey like is there any room for me in this thing and they're like no but we had this other idea for you and, and that's how that really began well that's a great uh story there because i think that's advice everyone can take is as you put it you have to shoot your shot and you don't know what the answer is until you ask until you ask the question and uh, it, it was a similar story for me is, um, you know, after I lost my job with WWE, uh, you know, started contemplating what my next move is. And one of the first things I thought of was, I mean, I'd love to work for Ring of Honor. So I had a little bit of a, a relationship with Joe Coff because I worked in Baltimore. Uh, I worked for the Baltimore Sun, obviously Ring of Honor based in Baltimore. So I knew Joe a little bit and I just sent Joe a cold email and said, hey, uh, here's my skill set. Um, I'm looking for work. Is there any, any possible chance I could do something with Ring of Honor? And then I, you know, I pitched the idea of, uh, of being on the website. And so there you go. It, it's a very similar story. Now, had I not reached out, I don't think my phone was necessarily going to ring with Joe Kolf calling me up. So I think that's great advice for everybody is like, if you believe in yourself, you got the talent without sounding, God, I don't want to sound preachy here, but you know, take your shot. The worst thing anybody's going to say is no. And if you got the talent, uh, there's a good chance a door is going to open for you. Yeah, I agree. It, it does sound kind of cliche to say, you know, yeah, just take a chance and, right. you, know, you know, follow your dreams and all that stuff. But I mean, it's true. I, what I'm doing, I am kind of living my dream, not just doing the full-time YouTube thing, but also getting the chance to be part of a company with the history of Ring of Honor. And like, that's just something that's a total bucket list thing that I never expected. Like, you know, deep down, it would have been, I thought, it would have been cool if something like this happens or something comes from the channel like this, but it was never something I assumed was guaranteed or was like owed, uh, you know, but it just kind of came about. Yeah. It was, it all came from the kind of cold email basically, but yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm very lucky that I had the, the platform on YouTube that helped establish me. And so I was able to kind of get this audience with ring of honor because, Oh, they already knew who I was. Right. Absolutely. Well, you know, you mentioned that you've done uh, or you started off on Ring of Honor TV doing some of the countdowns. Uh, we've seen you sit in on commentary lately, backstage interviewing. Uh, the backstage interviewing part, is that something that you had experience with previously, whether on, on the indie level or anywhere else? Not really. And you can see it when I when I do this stuff on Ring of Honor. Um, 
you know, somebody backstage put it best. I have a very awkward energy about me and I'm still trying to iron that out when I do my standups and stuff, but it is fun. And like, I have like, you know, I have experience working in broadcasting, doing interviews, having done them for my channel before. And like, I worked in TV on, you know, on a, on a behind the scenes level um, for many years before I started doing YouTube full time. So I've got a little bit of a, you know, a, a broadcasting and production background. Um, so as far as specifically backstage interviews, no, it's been kind of, I've been learning, I've been learning on the job. Um, but no one's been saying I've been doing a bad job yet. So I guess, I guess I'm okay right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I certainly wouldn't say you're doing a bad job. I mean, if you told me that you'd been doing it for several years, I, I would have believed you. Now, I don't know if, uh, if I'm seeing your, I don't know if you do it in one take or if I'm just happen to, you know, happen to see one good take out of 20. I'm going to, I'm going to believe you do it in one take. <laughs> oh, I, I'm a one take Johnny. Let's just put I it I bet that you way. are. Absolutely. You got to knock it out in one take. Right. Um, and yeah, like it's been a great learning experience and, uh, Every personality I've interviewed is different. And so it's like every, it's, it's a whole new game, a whole new experience when I'm, when the red light's on, I'm interviewing somebody else. So it's like, that's been really interesting is trying to like, you know, shape shift and kind of like adjust uh, on the fly to what every wrestler is saying and doing. Cause every, yeah, every, everyone's a different experience. Right. Absolutely. Well, what's the favorite, what's your favorite thing that you've done in ring of honor to this point? Oh, I think the thing I'm most proud of is having been a part of the commentary team. Uh, it was for the last ROH world title change. Uh, that was in St. Charles, Missouri, just before the pandemic. It was when Roosh regained the world title against PCO and Mark Haskins was part of that match as well. And uh, so, yeah, it's kind of cool to be a little part of history. Uh, you know, the last world title change I was witness to, and it was really cool to be a part of, you know, and, and, call the main event. And like I had done that before. Like the first match I had called for Ring of Honor was PCO and um, Danny Moff uh, in, I believe that was also Columbus. Yeah, it was Columbus, Ohio. That was unauthorized, I believe. And that was a great learning experience as well. And yeah, I think that's the thing I'm most proud of though is, is the Rouge title victory being part of that. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of other particular moments, but right now that's the one that really stands out to me. Yeah, well, that's a pretty big one for sure. Oh, also, I was there. It was cool to witness, like, for that, that first Death of Fortis Honor weekend, seeing Roosh win the belt for the first time against Matt Taven. And, like, I think Taven was, like, suplexed right on, like, the, the bell ringer's table, like, timekeeper's table. And, like, there's a shot of me, like, with my camera as I'm vlogging this, and I'm, like, dodging and almost getting hit. You know? <laughs> there was a small part of me, though, that kind of wishes I, like, didn't move out of the way. And so I could have gotten hit, and it would have been a more, you know, OMG moment sort of thing. <laughs> Well, yeah, that is uh, good advice for anyone who, who gets into Ring of Honor and uh, earns a seat at that ringside table. When Roosh is out there, be alert. That's, all I could, that's, that's the best advice. Be alert. <laughs> because right. you never know what's going to happen. Half the time, I don't think Roosh knows what's going to happen. Uh, so, yeah, just uh, keep your head on a swivel, I think, would be the best advice. Well, well let's go back to, uh, to the beginning. Let's, let's do the Brian Zane origin story. Ooh, How okay. old were you when you became a wrestling fan? I was, I believe I was 13 years old. It was um, 1998. I was in, I was just leaving seventh grade, going into eighth grade. And so this was, you know, the Monday Night War reaching a really a high point, the height of the Attitude Era and whatnot. Actually, what got me into wrestling wasn't like the stuff on TV. It was WCW versus NWO World Tour for the N64. Um, the first of the, uh, the first of the series of games that THQ and AKI would put out for the Nintendo. 
And that was something that my friend and I rented one weekend. Like neither of us were really wrestling fans, but I don't know, even know how he heard about it, but we started playing it and like, we could not put it down. So the whole weekend, we just played the hell out of this game. And then I was finally, Ooh, I'm kind of interested in seeing like what this is, what this wrestling thing is all about. Cause like when I was a kid, I would like flip through channels and find wrestling and I was very interested in it. But then my parents would inevitably walk in and, and change the channel for me. Like, Oh, don't watch this. This is crap. And da, da, da. And so I listened for a long time. I didn't watch. And then finally, when wrestling was permeating pop culture the way it was in 98, it was kind of hard to ignore. And yeah, that, 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 that video game really kind of set it off for me. So then I started watching, like, kind of watching mostly WCW. And then I would go back and forth between that and the WBF. Uh, and that was kind of my, that was my weekly ritual every Monday night, all thanks to video games. Who knew? Who knew? Now, did you start attending live events? No, because in Oregon, where I'm from, there were a lot of strict laws about running wrestling shows there. By the time I started becoming a fan, you know, the indies, as we knew it, wasn't really a thing in Oregon because there were all these uh, strict laws about drug testing, and the commission was very strict back then. Uh, they, they're still strict now, but it's less so than they were uh, in, like, 98. So, like, I would try and look for shows, but I didn't really know how to go about it, and so, like, I just didn't really see much. Finally, it wasn't until my senior year of high school, which was 2003, when I knew of a show. I forgot even how I heard about it, but it was, uh, it was a show commemorating Playboy Buddy Rose's 50th birthday. And so a friend of mine and I went to this show at a high school in, in Portland, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was magical for me. It only drew maybe like 200 people, and it was just this, this gym, you know? And like, you know, no, I, I, some of the names that were there were like Brian Alvarez was actually a wrestler on that show and uh, Shoulders Torelli. And so they became Brian and Vinny on the show they have now. And Buddy Wayne was there and um, a guy by the name of George Michael, not to be confused with the Arrested Development character or the singer, uh, but he was like an English gimmick. And like my friend and I gravitated to his character the most because he was the one who really understood the assignment and was probably the best heel of the show. And we were just like, we, we fawned over him. And my friend and I were kind of those those uh, know-it-all idiots who would like cheer the bad guys and <laughs> boo the good guys vociferously. Yeah. We we're the loudest people in the crowd. People hated us by the end of the night. Um, but that was, and I got to meet Buddy and I got to meet uh, Ed Wyskowski who was there as well and a lot of other guys. And it's funny because that's how I first met Buddy. And then like a couple of years later when I started training to wrestle, it was Buddy and Ed who were my teachers. Yeah, that's what I was going to uh, get into next. You anticipated my next question. <laughs> because I'm sure your, uh, you know, people who are familiar with your work, with uh, Wrestling With Regret, probably know this. But uh, those who may be new to you and don't know your background, you actually did train to become a professional wrestler. So my question to you is, when did you, at what age did you decide, this is something I want to try? And how long did you do it? Because I guess at one point you made the decision that, maybe getting in the ring and taking the bumps wasn't for you and you wanted to do uh, go the managerial route. Yeah. Like when I first had the idea of wanting to become a wrestler, that was like right when I became a fan. So like end of middle school, I was kind of like thinking, yeah, it'd be kind of cool. Like, like I think about other, I see other wrestlers on TV who like weren't the biggest guys in the world or didn't have the best physiques. I'm like, well, if they could do it, then surely I can do it, you know, cause I'm not an athlete, you know? <laughs> um, and of course, that's a very weird way of looking at things. But when you're a kid, you know, it all makes sense on some level. So then like, 
I didn't think much about it after that time. I was just happy being, you know, a regular fan through high school and everything. Um, and then I remember being in college and just kind of on a whim looking up like, oh, is there a wrestling school in Portland? I forget like what the catalyst to me wanting to train again was, but I looked up and I saw that, you know, Buddy and Ed had a wrestling school like in my hometown of Portland and I was going to school at the University of Oregon in Eugene. So that's a two hour bus ride. And so every chance I could, when I had enough money, I would go up to Portland and I would go and train. Uh, at the what, you, what was formerly the Straight Blast Gym on MLK in Northeast. And so uh, that was a real cool experience. And I trained for about two years before I had my first match. And I would continue to train after that. And I wrestled for a year uh, on and off. It was not a consistent schedule. I was like the definition of a weekend warrior, 40 miler. I'm not proud of my wrestling career. <laughs> you know, like it was, I, I was like mentally... I understood a lot of the psychology and like the why and the how in wrestling, but physically I'm like the best way I could describe my in-ring style is like video game ragdoll physics because the way I move around is just so it's not good. Basically like you get my matches. Most of my matches are on YouTube to see and like you can see for yourself. I'm not great in wrestling, but like a year, literally about a year to the day after I started wrestling, I made the move to managing because I think the promoter I was working for at the time saw a promo I cut and I put on my, my YouTube channel, which was then my, my personal YouTube channel. And he saw that and he knew that I could talk, but I, I wasn't a great wrestler. And so he just basically made me this offer to become a manager. And that's kind of when I jumped at that and I talked with my trainers about that and Colonel said something that always kind of resonates with me where he's like, Oh, if I would do it over again, I would have been a manager. Cause you know, like I, you know, still get the work and stuff, but I only take a bump like once a month. Like, great. <laughs> like that's kind of what, what it did for me. Cause like, I think bumping was the, what is like the easiest thing for me. I could do that all day, but like if anything else having to do with wrestling, it's like, no, nah, just, just, just sit aside, Brian. <laughs> so yeah, I figured it was, it was the right fit. And uh, that's kind of, I made that leap in March of 07 was when I became a manager and I have not looked back since. Well, you mentioned two guys uh, that are, I'm very interested in hearing about Buddy Rose, Playboy Buddy Rose and Ed Wiskowski. Um, Playboy Buddy Rose, I first saw, uh, well, I saw him in the magazines back in the day. Uh, you know, I knew he was big out in Portland. And then, uh, you know, I grew up in Baltimore, traditional WWF city. He came to the WWF and I think it was 82 and he had his run where he got his shot at Bob Backlund for the WWF championship. When right. I first saw him come in, I thought, who is this guy? Like, well, I mean, again, I knew who he was from the magazines, but actually seeing him, obviously he's not very physically impressive. Um, he looked like sort of a wannabe Ric Flair. He was, you know, riding the limousines and had a girl on each arm. And I was just like, man, this is, I'm not very impressed until he got in the ring. And then I saw, like, he had some great matches with Backlund. He had great matches with the jobbers on TV that traditionally would just be squashes. But Buddy would bump for these guys. And uh, so I was immediately impressed with Buddy Rose and, uh, you know, learned a little about his history. And, you know, he had this great feud with uh, Roddy Piper out in the Pacific Northwest. And then Ed Wiskowski was not a guy I, you know, again, this was a name I saw in the magazines. Didn't really know much about him until he shows up in the AWA but not as Ed Wiskowski, but as Colonel De Beers. And <laughs> uh, let's just say this. You could not do Colonel De Beers gimmick today. I do no, no you could not. No, I, this was the, you know, South Africa, apartheid. Uh, definitely couldn't play today, but certainly got a lot of heat back in the day. 
The closest uh, wrestling got to another Colonel De Beers was the Truth Commission in 97. And even yeah. that couldn't, could not touch the level of heat that Colonel De Beers got in his prime. No, <laughs> that was a much way. more watered down uh, version, I guess, compared to what the Colonel did. And this was not something that you were seeing on, uh, you know, your local UHF station or something on a, at 11 o'clock at night. This was on, the, this was on ESPN. This, right. is, this is when the AWA was on ESPN. So uh, my, how the, how the world has changed since then, as far as what you can get away with and what you can't. Uh, maybe that's, that's a good thing. Uh, but how much did you know? Uh, again, you were, you know, you're younger than I am. You didn't become a fan until 98. Once you met Buddy and Ed Wyskowski, like how much did you learn about what they had done in the business? Yeah, well, going into it, I didn't really know too much about them. Actually, it's funny. Before I met Buddy in person at that indie show, I was, I was again, going through the channels, and I tuned into one of the local cable access stations. And um, I forget his name now. Uh, the Lone Wolf, Brian something or other. I forget his last name now. He's, not, he's no longer with us, uh, sadly. But he did run a wrestling show on cable access. And uh, he, had one, he, would have some, he had some in-person interviews in the studio. And the one that I tuned into was one with Buddy Rose. And I'm looking, I'm watching this guy. I'm like, what's Louie Anderson got to do with wrestling? I didn't understand. <laughs> they, uh, no disrespect, but that's like the first person that came to mind when I saw it. And then like they showed clips of him and, like uh, when he was doing stuff with XPW at the time, uh, managing Steve Rosano. And then I saw some of his Portland stuff. So I didn't really know too much about him. But then like when I started training under them, that's when I started to do some backfill of information and look more of his stuff. And it's just, it is amazing what Buddy was able to accomplish. Because, like, yes, to the untrained eye, he was basically, like, a territorial, like, not-as-in-shape version of Ric Flair. Like like you said, he had the bleach blonde hair, he had the limo, he had the ladies and stuff. It was very Ric Flair, very Buddy Landell style of gimmick and aesthetic. But, like, he was, I mean, he trained under Vern Gagne. He was in the same class as the Iron Sheep. And guys like that. So like he he came through and he he worked his butt off. He he became a great worker in his own right. Um, he was a multi-sport athlete growing up. So it's like even though he got bigger and more overweight over time, he was still able to go for a very long time of his career. Um, so yeah, that that's I think one of the cool curious things about Buddy in his prime was you know the look of it often confused people. But like once he got in the ring and, and did what he you know did what he did best, I think he was one of the best at it. As far as Colonel is, some, again, somebody who I didn't know really any, I knew less about him than I did Buddy at the time. But then going back and like seeing some of this stuff as, you know, Easy Ed Wyskowski or the Polish Prince or uh, the Mega Maharishi uh, for a brief time in Oregon. Um, he was always, he always had his finger on the pulse of like what was going on in the world today uh, when he had his different gimmicks. Um, yeah, Ed was another great guy. Like he also had a very, he had a very interesting style about him in the ring. Um, I think that he was, yeah, he was very, very interesting to watch, especially when he leaned into his gimmicks and stuff. Yeah, for sure. And what you said about Buddy, I just, you know, want to reiterate that, that point is he was the ultimate don't judge the book by its cover. Right. Because, uh, yeah, so athletic and you would never, you never guess that by looking at him and, you know, great cardiovascular. I mean, he could go in the ring. I never saw him get blown up. And even yeah. when he came back to the WWF years later as a glorified jobber, he wasn't getting a push at all, and he was much heavier. Mm -hmm. uh, he, I'm sure you're, you know, familiar with the famous blow away diet spot. Yes, uh, yes, I, I love that skit. And like, what's funny about that? He told me a couple things about it, where it's like, 
there was always this perception that the blow-away diet skit was meant to be some kind of punishment for him for having gained so much weight. Um, and that, that was apparently not the case because apparently it was him and Jimmy Hart just messing around, come up with ideas. And, was, um, and they were like, you know, let's make this skit. And I'm sure Jimmy Hart was like, hey, baby, it sounds like a good idea. So um, they did that and they used like the soap to be like the powder and everything. Um, apparently what I found out was the phone number at the end uh, to call was like 1-800-LARDASS or something. But apparently if you call that number or if you did at the time, uh, allegedly it went to like the customer service department at Hershey's, the chocolate company, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that's amazing if true. That is genius. I've never heard that before, but that is genius. Yeah. And another thing about Ed I want to bring up as well is that like, I couldn't name you too many memorable matches of Ed's, unfortunately, but one thing that will always resonate with me, with him as a performer, were his facial expressions. Because he wasn't the most mobile or agile guy. He was a taller dude and he was, you know, very barrel chested. So he didn't do a whole lot of rolling around. But like, I think his body language and I think his facial expressions were the things that I took away the most of when I trained with him and studied him and watched a lot of his and the things he taught us. Um, I think he definitely had that down. And like Buddy had the technical aspect of things down and they both we're great with the psychology and the why of things. But with Ed, I think one of my biggest takeaways with him was his body language and spatials. One last comment about Buddy. He is the answer to a trivia question regarding WrestleMania. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you may know what that, what that question is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wrestled in the very first WrestleMania match against Tito Santana as the masked executioner. And uh, do you know the story of why he was in the, in, in the mask? I do not know the story. Apparently, uh, the booker, and I'm going to get the names confused. I don't think it was George South. It was George South or George Scott. George Scott. Thank you. George Scott, who was booking at the time. Uh, apparently, the story was he wanted Buddy on the show, uh, but he didn't want Buddy Rose to lose. So the match was just to get Tito over in the first match, and so we had to put Buddy in a mask. Apparently, the mask was something that was found like, at the bottom of Ed Wyskowski's bag at the last minute, and... They just found whatever black, you know, get up they could have him wear. And the boots he's wearing in that match, they're his custom, like, Buddy Rose boots with, like, the word Rose down each side of them. So if you look at his boots, there's, like, black gaffer's tape down the side to cover his name. That's how, like, little thought and effort they gave into making this outfit for him at the first WrestleMania. Imagine that amount of, like, laziness going into someone's costume for, like, a WrestleMania today. It's just completely unheard of. But um, it's not like a very much like a last minute kind of change. So yeah, Buddy was the first, one of the first uh, competitors, the first mania. In fact, uh, if, I, if I see, next time I see you in person, you can look at my tattoo because I've got a tattoo piece on my arm that has like four of the wrestling masks that mean the most to me. And one of them is the executioner mask. So that's my little tribute to Buddy Rose. And you can see that for yourself. <laughs> oh, very cool. Very cool. I want to ask you one uh, question about your managerial career. And that was... Uh, Basically, who were your favorite wrestling managers uh, when you were a fan? And did you take anything from them and sort of not copy them, obviously, but any snippets here and there of things they did and incorporate it into your own style? Yeah, I'd like to think of myself as someone who is heavily influenced by guys like Paul Heyman and especially Jim Cornette, and I'll get to that in a second. And also, the more I, the more I look back at his stuff, like from the 80s, I'm like, oh, I, I guess I am very much like Jimmy Hart in a lot of ways and how I move around and how I, you know, how I do stuff. 
the thing with Jim Cornette is like, I can't help how I look. And so for years I was, and even to this day, I'm kind of cast off by some people as like a Cornette ripoff. Cause like, Oh, I am, you know, a nerdy looking guy with brown hair and glasses. And, oh, you know, that's such a, that's such a rare look, you know? So, and for a while, for the first several years of me managing, I would wear like, I wouldn't wear loud stuff necessarily. I wouldn't wear things that didn't match, but I would wear, you know, suits or I'd wear shirt and tie and everything. And so it was just very generic manager stuff. So like a lot of Cornette comparisons came about that, but that wasn't my intention. It was just, you know, the nature of my genetics and like my look at the time. And so that's a big reason I wear the sweatsuits now. Cause if you watch my channel and if you see my, my, my managerial stuff in the last about 10 years or so, I've been wearing these velour track suits. And part of that is to kind of like, combat the the comparisons to Jim Cornette because I don't consider myself that much like him other than in the face because I don't talk quite as fast as he does and you know I, I used to have a spray bottle not a tennis racket but now I don't have any kind of props so like I try to make that separation for, for a few reasons but like that, I think those are my biggest influences for sure just watching those guys like at yeah, Heyman Cornette and I guess to a lesser extent Jimmy Hart are kind of my bigger managerial like influences for sure well those are certainly great ones to be influenced by and uh, I tell you what, uh, you said about didn't talk quite as fast as Jim Cornette. I don't believe anyone can talk as fast as Jim Cornette and not stumble over a single word. I mean, it is, uh, it, it is very impressive the way Jim can just go and go off, cut a promo. It's witty. It's funny. It's rapid fire. And he never stumbles. At least I've never seen him stumble over a word. So No, I, I don't think so either. I think, uh, yeah, it's every time I've tried doing a Cornette impression, I just I don't think I can do him justice. But like, yeah, he is definitely one of the best talkers out there. And uh, yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was one of those things where it's like I wanted to, I wanted to, or, you know, it's like I, I, I was influenced by him, but I wanted to be influenced from a distance, if that makes sense, where it's like yeah. I didn't want to make it, like I was trying to copy the homework too much, you know, right. but again, it was like, I can't help how I look. And uh, maybe if I get laser surgery on my eyes, I can lose the glasses. That's one less thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the last thing I want to mention uh, is your, you said you wear a velour tracksuit because uh, you know, I've done some indie managing myself as a heel manager. And I also wore a tracksuit, <laughs> but it was a WWE tracksuit because my gimmick was, and I started managing in Maryland Championship Wrestling after I had lost my WWE job uh, on the creative team. So my gimmick was I was the uh, sort of bitter ex-WWE writer, and I was coming to MCW to basically turn them into my version of sports entertainment. Ah, that's, that's, very, that's pretty clever. I like that. Oh, thank you. Uh, so yeah, I wore my... the WWE tracksuit for Heat, and as a, as a shoot, Triple H gave us, everybody on the writing team, the tracksuits after WrestleMania 30, I think it was. The, the numbers run together. But as sort of a thank you to the creative team for, you know, all the hard work and WrestleMania was a success, he gave us all these WWE tracksuits. So, of course, I wore the tracksuit and, and never hesitated to tell people when I was cutting my heel promos that this was given to me personally by Paul Levesque. Uh, that's hmm. Triple H to all you marks out there. And, and it was like, I don't know if anybody believed me, but it was actually true. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I may have made a miscalculation when I went with Velour because, you know, for several months out of the year, it's very hot and, you know, trying to record videos or be at ringside while I'm wearing this thing. It can be, uh, it's a little hot under, under here. So it's not like one of those light, you know, 
track suits that are actually like good for running tracking. It's just, these are the lounging track suits. So <laughs> in one of these yeah. days, I'll try and convert to one of the more like thinner material. Yeah, I don't know. I think you were onto something. I think there's heat in velour. No pun intended. L- literally, literally. No, there's heat. no pun intended. <laughs> I think anytime you see someone wearing velour, I don't know. That's heat to me, I would think. Oh, yeah. Well, it's luxury and it's like, yes. but, you know, it's great. Shout out to Sweatcito, by the way. They're the ones who've made all my track suits over the years. And uh, they're actually a local company. They, they operate out of Carson City and I live in Reno, which is like a half hour away. So it's, it's very synergetic. It's, it's a very good relationship. So Sweatcito.com, if I can make a plug here for all your sweatsuit needs. <laughs> well, I think you just did. All right. Well, we're going to take a break here. We'll be back with more with Brian Zane right after this. It's been fun playing wrestling with y'all. But we got something even better. Yeah! Honor Nation, it's the ROH Wrestling Honor Pals. The body slamming, drop kicking way to keep the fun going. We need some tougher competition. El Puro Buckle. Jay Trailer. She's the new Honor Pals champion. ROH Wrestling Honor Pals. Bring home your favorite star at shophonor.com. All right, we are back on the RRH Strong Podcast. My guest is the newest member of the Ring of Honor broadcast team. That is Brian Zane, uh, although he has been doing it for a couple years now. So maybe, uh, yes, he's still the newest, but he's been around the block for a little bit now. But uh, I want to talk to you about your YouTube channel, uh, Wrestling With Regret. For people who aren't familiar with it, how would you describe what you do with the channel? Uh, The best way I could describe Wrestling With Regret it's kind of like, are you familiar with WrestleCrap.com, yes. Kevin? Yes. Uh, that's, the best way I can describe it is WrestleCrap.com, but like in video form. Uh, WrestleCrap, R.D. Reynolds, Blade Braxton, those are some of my biggest influences in terms of like, I, I discovered that website in college, and I, that's where I learned, like, oh, you can like have like funny opinions on bad wrestling, and like it's, that opened up a whole new world for me. Uh, as well as like channels like the Nostalgia Critic or the Angry Video Game Nerd. That was like, those are the two biggest inspirations for my aesthetic when I first started, kind of like, because they were the big front runners in this whole, you know, uh, subculture or this genre on YouTube of like, you know, nerdy guy doing funny jokes about bad things in media, well, no matter what it is, video games or comics or movies or whatever. And so for a very long time, I wanted to make a channel like that, but with wrestling, because like no one at the time, about eight or nine years, 10 years ago, really, was really doing that. And so finally, you know, two years or so after I came up with the idea, I thought, well, you know what? Like I have writing experience and I've got experience in the business. So I have a different perspective and I, I, have, video, I have video production experience. So it's like here, I have all these tools. Like, let me, I'll, I'll just take this plunge and give it a try. And so like, yeah, in 2013, I finally took the plunge and started my channel. And it was just like a hobby just to make, you know, I, my first episodes were about Muhammad Hassan, which is a character that I was very like curious about, you know, when I watched at the time and talking about other weird, quirky things in wrestling just that are kind of on my mind. And that's kind of how it all began. It's basically like a nostalgia critic, but with wrestling or wrestle crap, but like put to video form. And that was kind of what I ran with for a couple of years on and off, taking breaks periodically. And then like two years into it, when I was just about ready to say, I, I think I'm done for now, like that's when the channel began to blow up. Because uh, I had a couple of videos that kind of like got hot and one thing led to another. And I went from having like 
2,000 subscribers after two years to having like close to 100,000 by the end of my second year. Uh, it just totally blew up. But yeah, wrestling with regret, it's a, weird, it's a weird ride that I've been on for sure. But it all began with this idea of like, let me do like a video form of these funny wrestling blogs. Well, if you recall, what were the videos that uh, made it blow up? Yeah, it was actually, um, it was kind of a combination because I did a skit uh, where I was as Jim Cornette because I have a basically a Cornette suit because like one day at like a local thrift shop, I saw this like, bright red suit that fit me perfectly. And so, well, all I gotta do is find like these Coke bottle glasses or whatever and a tennis racket at said thrift store and like bingo bango, there's the Cornette costume, I don't do it in my face. And um, so I did this skit called Cornette Gets It Wrong and it was like this time life commercial basically about like here's all these things that Cornette has said that would turn out to be wrong. All these fake lines I'd have him say where he's like, oh boy, a football league owned by Vincent Mann, that's gonna get ratings like no one's ever seen, like technically correct. Or like, you know, all these things about John Cena will be the most beloved superstar of all time, provided he never, ever loses. And it was just like me doing this like weird Southern accent, kind of sound like Cornette. And, you know, that was fun. And like Cornette had seen it and like he actually like shared it and he endorsed it. And that was cool. Other guys like Cole Cabana and the Young Bucks also shared it. And uh, that was like my, that was my big moment. My big breakout moment was that video coming out because that's, I think, when my channel really started getting better known. And then around the same time, I also made a video, like a top eight worst heel turns or something where it's like for a long time at the beginning of the channel, I was very much anti lists. I thought they were kind of like cheap, you know, content is like, oh, it's, it's, you know, the, the things I'm doing with more creative work involved, that's the real stuff. But like, then the longer I'm doing, well, people actually like lists and those get a lot of views. So I think I'm going to keep doing those. So I did like eight worst heel turns and like those two came out within like two weeks of each other, if that. And like, yeah, I think it was just kind of this big ripple effect where more people started watching those videos and then getting turned on to some of the older ones I had done before that. And yeah, those the kind of the, that was kind of the beginning of it, honestly. It's funny about the Cornette video because um, my friend who's on my channel, uh, Jay Biggs, he briefly did some things with ROH when they went and toured on the West Coast. And he handled some of the touring uh, stuff out there. And uh, he showed Joe Coff that video, the skit of me as Cornette. And this was like right after Cornette had left the company. So he probably wasn't in the best light at Ring of Honor at the time. Uh, but yeah, Joe apparently saw that and thought it was hysterical. And so it's, it's funny because I've, I've talked with Joe several times since I've worked for ROH, I don't think he remembers that. So I'll have to like bring it up to him when I see him in Baltimore. Yeah, exactly. Whenever the, the next taping is. Well, you mentioned you got the feedback from Cornette and the Young Bucks, Colt Cabana. Have you gotten any negative feedback, maybe from people that you were parodying or <laughs> lampooning, poking fun at? Has anyone reached out to you and said, yeah, I didn't think uh, that was funny? Yeah, yeah, I've had some negative feedback over the years for sure. Um, and we could, as recently as recently, as a matter of fact. But there's, uh, yeah, I think the first person who gave me flack was probably Vince Russo. Because I did a skit, like a, it was a follow-up to the Cornette skit, where I did like Vince Russo will change your life. So very similar vein, another kind of faux commercial. And it's like Vince Russo teaching this methodology of like blame someone else for your problems bro and all the problems are gonna go away and so i had like the voice and i got a i got a fake beard and i put like black and white like hairspray in my hair to make it like salt and pepper colored 
And um, the, the, the whole crux or the coup de grace of the skit was I actually traveled to Louisville and got Jim Cornette to like punch me as Vince Russo out in a, in, at the end of the skit. That was a big blow off to it. And so, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun to meet my, my, one of my big inspirations at the time and uh, work with him and stuff and all under the guise of, you know, doing this bit on Vince Russo. And so Russo saw and blocked me <laughs> on Twitter over it. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of, I kind of took that as a badge of honor at the time, but like Vince Russo, then and I like later made up and I interviewed him and it was, it was all fine and everything. I got heat later on from Taz as a matter of fact, because one of the first videos I did um, in, in like 2013 or 2014 was a video about Taz's run in the WWF. And like, it's not controversial to say he got the short end of the stick. That's not a pun on his height, but I'm saying it's not controversial to say he got like, he didn't have a great run as a wrestler. There. Like he didn't have a lot of chances. Um, great as an announcer, as a commentator, but his, his wrestling days there, they weren't quite the same as is in Prime and ECW. So that was all, basically all I was trying to say in the video. And then like he DMs me out of nowhere. I, I can remember vividly, I'm driving to Las Vegas with my friend to go to Money in the Bank. And he just opens up going, geez. I'm like, okay, like what is this? And so then he, 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 he DMs my ear off basically about how disrespectful I was and everything. And I'm some punk fan who doesn't know anything. I'm like, well, actually, Taz, you know, I do have some experience. So I have some of that perspective. And he's like, that makes it worse. Because, like, you can't you – can, basically, I learned from Taz, you can't make fun of wrestling if you're a fan, and you can't make fun of it if you're a worker. So no one's allowed to make fun of wrestling. That's, that's the big takeaway I got from Taz. Um, and or, maybe, or maybe it's more you, no one's allowed to make fun of Taz because he takes himself too seriously. That's the, I think that's the real issue. No yeah. one's allowed to make fun of him, whether he's, you're a worker or a fan, apparently. Um, and so the jury's still out on if he re remembers me or if he's still mad about it. Um, so as far as people who have like been negative, it's, it's far more positive. I want to just say that for the record. In fact, one of my all-time greatest moments that I will take to my grave was I was in New, not New Orleans, I was in Orlando for WrestleCon, um, the last time they were there for WrestleMania. And I'm in the convention hall, I'm getting like footage of like crowds milling about, and all of a sudden it's about to start rolling, I'm in front of the BWO's table, and all of a sudden I'm about to start rolling, Stevie Richards walks right in front of my lens, like inches away, and he has this real mean look on his face, I'm like, oh, what have I done? Like he's like, he goes, he's like, hey there. I'm like, hi, Steve. He goes, I really, I like your channel a lot. I'm like, oh, that was like, it totally broke the ice. And it was like, he just really put over the channel and everything. I'd never met him before, but he just wanted to say how much he appreciated it. And as we're talking, like one table down is one man gang. He comes up to me as Steve and I are talking. He's like, I like your channel too, brother. I'm like, what is happening right now? This is like a complete like fantasy moment for me. And like, so I've had a lot of people in the business also compliment my stuff. I'm like, uh, the people I've talked to in Ring of Honor, for example, you know, um, are aware of it and they like it as well. The ones I've talked, the ones who, who I've discussed it with, and like Chris Hero reached out to me and told me that, and like it's it's really affirming to me when the people the people in the business who do like my work that far outweighs, in my opinion, the opinions of the ones who are in the business who have this kind of you know this old grizzled vet mentality, and they say, oh, he's this marker doesn't know anything about anything, but like. I don't know. I mean, the fact that I'm working for Ring of Honor now kind of disproves that theory. So, <laughs> yeah, I would think so. I would think so. This this next question I'm going to ask you covers a lot of ground, but I'll ask it anyway. If you, what's the most embarrassing thing? Uh, what's the biggest wrestle crap or wrestling with regret moment 
uh, that that personally you you can think of? The most embarrassing thing you've ever that I had seen as a fan or like personally had happened like in, in to me or like well, not to you, not to you personally, but as a fan. Oh, okay. Oh man, that's tough. Cause that does cover a lot of ground. Like off the top of my head, I think that like, like I said earlier, I was very intrigued by the Muhammad Hassan character in WWE. And I think there were some legs to it. I think it could have been really interesting if they had just kind of kept going with it as like him as this frustrated Arab American taking out his frustrations in a post 9-11 world. Uh, and there was some meat on that bone, I think. But then like they did the thing on SmackDown where they, he had the guys in the ski masks attacking the Undertaker and they used the piano wire. And it was very much like, this looks like a bunch of terrorists, like calling it, calling it how it is. Like there's no ambiguity to it, but they dance around it a lot. And then of course, like the, the really bad timing of it was like it coincided with the London bombing and how like they didn't think to just remove it from the show. And no, nope, we're going to run it as is. And we're going to put a little crawl at the bottom and we're going to just kind of wipe our hands in it. And like that totally blew up in your face. Uh, again, no pun intended. That's a bad phrase. I'm sorry for that. But it was, uh, it was just not good timing. And like that, that a moment in, in a bubble, even without the context of the London bombing, ruin that character in so many ways because all it did was it just made him exactly everything he said he wasn't and i think that was just kind of a a flanders a flanderization in the worst way for that character i think as far as other like wrestle crap or like yeah big regrettable moments i think like again going back to russo russo as wcw champion was a bad one david arquette as wcw champion and even though they had their reasons for it i think the timing of it wasn't great and it's great to see having seen arquette kind of bounce back from that stigma and have kind of ingratiated himself to wrestling fans today so many years later but that was not great at the time i would argue um see here raw underground last year was really interesting <laughs> really uh special time where it was like it was so bad and unsuccessful they just like killed it off and never brought it up again <laughs> i love when that happens when they just totally kill off something and it's like what what are you talking about that never happened it's just right. you're crazy <laughs> I'm trying to think of other moments just like there's a lot of it man like uh ed ferrara as oklahoma is probably one of the uh, one of the most tasteless things i've seen and i'm sure you having been in the weeds there have some some stories about that um God, yeah. And right now I'm looking at this VHS copy of Suburban Commando, which I'm going to be reviewing very soon for my channel. That's not, that, that, that's, some, that's some wrestle crap right there. <laughs> I got some, some things to say about that movie in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, Hulk Hogan movies that could be considered, uh, pretty, pretty much all of them. I would pretty much all of them. There's not, there's, I mean, like, I would say that No Holds Barred was probably his best work. Uh, I would say that somewhat ironically. Uh, but I mean, compared to Suburban Commando, I'd say it's far better. And so you, you look at all his work over the years and you realize he only had like two looks. He had like the intense look because he got that from wrestling. And then all these like bug out, like, whoa, these confused looks, which is like 90% of his work in, in Commando, for example. Right. <laughs> but that's all he did. And like he somehow was able to parlay that into a multi-year acting career. And I'll never understand because of all the wrestlers who've made the transition to acting, Hogan getting the work that he did for as long as he did made the least amount of sense to me. Yeah. He was so wooden as an actor. And even if you go back and you look at Rocky three, where he didn't have that many lines, but even the lines he delivered, uh, I thought were, you know, to Stallone or were, were, were kind of wooden, you know, but it's like, mm -hmm. 
Hey, God bless him. Like you said, he was able to make a lot of money, I guess, with those movies. I think they were all, I think I heard him say one time, of course, I don't know he's been known to stretch the truth, but that they were bit. all made on such a budget that they all were profitable. So God bless him. You know, if he was able to pull that <laughs> off, I guess, you know, saying that's, your that's the secrets. <laughs> yeah. Make it look bad as possible. So the, the minimal amount of, you know, reception will get you money. That's, that's brilliant. <laughs> All right, I want to ask you about one other specific match that took place in WWE. I'm going to ask, I'm asking about it for a specific reason. Do you remember it was called the WLC match, which was, do you remember? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that was, you know, what's funny is like that match got a lot of crap, like everything leading up to it. But then you watch the match itself. It's actually really amazing. Like that match, that one sticks with you. Cause it's like, it's a, it's a great example of like, comedy wrestling done in this really creative way where yeah it's like okay they like there's the small ladders and the small tables and the small announce team and like haha um but then when they actually get in the ring and do their stuff it's really entertaining it's so fun and like it's it's crazy to see the guys from 3mb and los matadors like take bumps like for the guys like seeing gender going through this giant ladder table contraption that just completely disintegrates around him is an amazing visual. That match is like, that's a sleeper hit, man. Like it's, it's wrestle crap on the surface, regrettable on the surface, but like, it's so fun to watch when you actually sit down and enjoy it. Well, I'll tell you why I asked about that match. Cause I was actually fishing for a compliment because that happened on my watch in WWE. And I was the one who pitched the match and the concept based off of, Here's the short story to it. No, again, hey. a lot of puns. <laughs> Zing. No, no pun intended. So you have all the good puns here. I'm all the ones that sound, that made me sound like a jerk. <laughs> you know, so you've got the good, the, the good puns. Funny thing Keep is, going. I've said like three of them and none of them were intentional. Uh, but we had done this thing during the Slammies, right? Where Vince was like, we need some comedy in the show. We, something funny has to happen. And so he's like, and this is what we were all charged, the entire writing team, 25 writers or whatever, like coming up with all these ideas for like entertainment, quote unquote entertainment segments. And we presented them all to Vince and he didn't like any of them. And he goes, uh, we're just going to have uh, Hornswoggle and El Torito run around on the stage and, you know, hump Jerry Lawler's leg or something like that. And we're like, oh, geez, like we came, we came up with what we hmm. thought were brilliant ideas, but that's what he did, right? So I looked at that and said, well, that was just so random and came out of nowhere. Why don't we like book a little program? I said little, geez. Why don't we book a program between Hornswoggle and El Torito and let's, you know, it'll, it'll culminate at TLC with a WLC match with mini ladders and mini chairs and all this thing. So, and I, I just knew, you know, Vince liked silly ideas. So, and I didn't pitch a lot of them, probably to my detriment. I would always pitch like serious angles, but pitch it of course he loved it and then he had to take it one step further with the little person referee and the little person michael cole and sitting like that was not my idea that was that was his you know he had to add his little flavor to it right uh, but man i couldn't have been happier you know i felt a source of pride with the way it turned out and the three like to your point the three mb guys and los matadores really embraced it especially drew mcintyre who was so underutilized as a comedy guy and basically being a stooge for Heath Slater. And Drew was out there like throwing himself over the top rope through a table. And um, yeah, that's one of my claims to be. When anybody ever asked me about my WWE career and say, what are you proud of? 
one of the first things I say is WLC. Right. Well, you should be proud. That was definitely, I certainly can't remember anything else in that show. You know, like WLC is the one. So, you know, or was it Extreme Rules that happened on? You know what? Uh, You're right. It was Extreme Rules. Yeah, still, I can't remember anything else on that show besides WLC. So, I mean, yeah, that's something to hang your hat on for sure. And like I said, it's, it's an underrated, underrated match. Like, it's comedy wrestling done right. There you go. I, I agree. <laughs> I'll put myself over. Um, no, but all the credit obviously goes to the guys, the talent, because they really did embrace it. And it wouldn't have been any good had they not done that. And um, look, Hornswoggle, you know, love, I love that guy. He's, he's a great guy. Not the greatest worker in the ring, you know, necessarily. El Torito could do some good high spots. But I think the people that put the match together really knew, like, you needed a lot of bells and whistles, and, and it was really going to be – for it to be as entertaining as it was, you're going to have to get 3MB and, and Los Matadores in there bumping all around the ring. So uh, credit goes to all those guys, the talent and the agents who put it together. But, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. And, again, that's something I'll say, uh, yeah, I was, I was proud of. It might end up in wrestle crap, you know, or – wrestling with regret, but that's okay. And even if it does, unlike Vince Russo and Taz, I can laugh at myself. So that's okay. Well, I'll send you the link to the 3MB video I did where I talked about that for a bit. So after this recording, I'll send that to you. Oh, please do. Please do. All right. Well, we're going to take our final break here. And then when we come back, we're going to play 10 questions. I know he's already answered probably 20 questions, but we're going to ask him 10 more. 10 questions with Brian Zane right after this. Hey, Honor Nation, check out the new and improved Ring of Honor shop at shophonor.com. Shophonor.com turns ordinary online shopping into a truly immersive experience. Our new mobile-friendly design is enhanced for better navigation and search. The recommended for you feature will showcase products based on your unique preferences or find exactly what you want as you filter any category by your favorite wrestler, size, or color. Go to shophonor.com now. All right, we are back on the RH Strong Podcast with Brian Zane. Brian, it is time to play 10 questions. Are you ready? Yes, 10 specific questions for this segment. I'm ready. Let's go. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. Okay, question number one. Brian, what is something on your bucket list? It can be pro wrestling or just life in general man well uh one of my my my, one of my pro wrestling bucket lists would be to help provide commentary for an entire pay-per-view because i've been showing up occasionally for one match two matches on a show i would love to be there and be beginning to end like if i could be there alongside caprice and ian for an entire pay-per-view that's like what i would strive for for a goal so like the real bucket list thing that's something i want to try and check off as far as like a non-wrestling bucket list, uh, frankly, I just want to stay alive long enough to see my kids graduate high school and college. I just want to make sure I can stay healthy and, you know, uh, so I don't kick the bucket too soon before that. Uh, I'd love to, you know, travel the world with them, uh, my whole family, and just, uh, you know, get to, uh, let my kids experience some sights that I didn't get to growing up. That's one of my bucket list things for sure. Okay. Yeah, you don't want to kick the bucket because then there goes the bucket list out the window. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> all right question number two what's a subject you'd like to know more about oh i would love to learn a language of some kind i think that's a that's an area i really didn't care about growing up where it's i did the bare minimum like i needed two years of a language to graduate in middle school i did french 
for two years. And then like, oh, you need like two credits to graduate uh, high school for language. And so two middle school years count as one year. So I did one year of French freshman year and never touch a language again. In fact, I was so l different language averse. I like was the only person in my class to get a bachelor of science at the journalism school I was at because I refused to like, I'll do more math. I don't care. I, I don't want to learn other languages. It's too hard for me right now. So if I could learn another language, like that would be pretty cool. I'd love to you know, try and be bilingual a little bit. Okay. Well, hey, it's never too late. Never too late to learn. Question number three. If you could have a conversation with any celebrity or historical figure alive or dead, who would it be? Hmm. Owen Hart, you know, I think about uh, my mind just goes to wrestlers, honestly, like historical figures. It's, you know, uh, I think I, I think back to Owen, honestly, uh, Owen or, or Eddie Guerrero are two people I would love to have met and uh, get to pick their brain a little bit about this crazy world of ours we call professional wrestling. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of any non-wrestling people like I'm sure there's some, but like nothing really comes from George Carlin, I think would be someone I'd love to have met in person and and got to, to talk with a bit because he's one of my favorite comedians of all time. Question number four, have you ever had a paranormal experience? And if not, do you believe in its existence? Uh, no, but one time at summer camp, a kid who was in my cabin tricked me into thinking there was some paranormal stuff going around. And then I realized he was just full of it and I was really mad at him the rest of the session. Uh, but no, I, I think there's something out there. I'm willing to believe, you know. Uh, so the answer, the first part is no, not yet. And we'll see. Yeah, that's pretty much the way I would answer it as well. You know, I, I welcome it. I want to have one, but it just hasn't happened yet. So I'd like to believe it's true, but it hasn't happened to me yet. So I can't be 100%. All right, question number five. Do you have a guilty pleasure? Is there something that uh, you secretly like that maybe you would be embarrassed to admit to people? Like, I think it's part of my, it's a, it's a part of my job, I guess. I like really, really bad wrestling. Like just the, the worst material possible. Like one of my guilty pleasures right now is women's extreme wrestling. Like the early days uh, out of the ECW arena and just like, it's just, it's, it's bad. Like there's maybe one or two decent female workers among them, but it's all just like really horrific, just really bad stuff. Like watch their first few DVD sets. And it's just like the biggest cringe and some of the most hilarious that I've seen comes from this. Like the commentary is not great. <laughs> the wrestling is somehow worse. Um, and it's just, it's it's a laugh riot for all the wrong reasons. So right now, just bad wrestling in general. Like, just, you know, people trying their best and it just all goes wrong. Like that's kind of my favorite, favorite, favorite guilty pleasure right now. I'm not that familiar with women's extreme wrestling. This wasn't one of David McClain's ventures, was it? No, uh, no. Uh, I think, no. David McClain's projects has a lot more panache than Women's Extreme Wrestling right now. <laughs> okay. Women's Extreme Wrestling was formed by Steve uh, Carroll, Steve the Hustler, former uh, ECW uh, higher up, actually. Right. Yeah, I know yeah. that name. I believe Steve O'Neill was uh, one of the writers for it as well. It was, it's a whole thing. I've done two videos on it, and there'll be more on the way because they are that bad. They need to be talked about and brought to light. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get on the Wrestling with Regret channel and check those out because uh, you're making me want to see it, and I'm not familiar. Yeah. All right, question number six. You can answer this either way you would like. I'll present it two ways. Uh, a celebrity crush. Who was your celebrity crush growing up? 
or do you have one now? And I know you're a married man, so I don't want to get you in any trouble. So you answered any way. Uh, <laughs> um, man, like I'm trying to think of the celebrity crushes I had growing up. Like, I don't know. Like, I guess Kimberly, the Pink Ranger. When I started watching Power Rangers when I was a kid, like that's one of them. Um, God, I'm trying to think. Like, uh, to a lesser extent, as I got older, like Trish Stratus maybe was a celebrity crush. Um, who else, man? Like, I'm trying to think because I'm, I'm sure I had a couple, but like those are the first two that really come to mind at this point. Um, I don't know, but Allison Brie was cute and glow, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. You lost me on the Power Ranger thing. That was not my um, that was not my demographic, so I'll, I'll have to look her up as well. All right, no, what, Amy, uh, Amy Jo Johnson. She was great as Kimberly, the Pink Ranger, pterodactyl. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out. All right, question number seven: Do you have any hidden talents? Is there something you're good at that that maybe we don't know about? You know, not everyone knows that I'm a pretty good singer. Uh, I've I've done a little bit of singing on my channel, but it's not my primary thing, obviously. But uh, yeah, I love to sing. I love to act. I, I grew up doing both of those rather regularly. I was in school plays all the time. I did a lot of theater um, in the last couple of years before my my kids were born. Um, getting back into that, like local community theater and stuff. And I did a few roles and uh, those are a lot of fun. And I would love like my job now with, with the YouTube channel really prevents me from doing any kind of consistent like rehearsal and performance schedule for plays and stuff. Um, but if I could do get back into it, I absolutely would because yeah, I just love that, that outlet of performing. Wrestling is kind of my performance outlet now, but it's not the same thing. Right. Well, I'm going to pitch, I pitched this idea then in the past, I'm going to, I'm going to keep pitching it. And, and I think we should do at some point, if we do another unauthorized show, I think we should do a segment called ROH has talent. And I think <laughs> we should have our talent get up there and show what they can do. And I know we have a couple singers now. I just found out that you can sing. Obviously Joe Hendry. Uh, I learned that Roxy is a singer. Bandito was on a couple weeks ago and uh, sang a little tune for us. And I'm sure wow. there's others. I would love to do like a duet or something with Joe Hendry. I've, I talked with him a lot before the pandemic. Like, we got to go to like a karaoke bar. We got to sing some stuff and put it on camera. Like, yeah, I definitely want to do something that incorporates some of those like hidden musical talents for sure. All right. Question number eight. And there's a little addendum to this one. I'm going to ask you the question. What's something popular that you don't see the appeal of? But the little wrinkle I'm putting on this question now is that you can't say TikTok. Because every person that I've asked that to for the last, I don't know how many podcasts, has said, I really don't get TikTok. So other than that, what's something popular that you don't see the appeal of? I will say I do get TikTok. My wife is on it obsessively. And so I see a lot of what she's what she looks at. And I'm like, oh, it's like Vine, but a bit shinier, essentially, is what TikTok is. Um, and there's more parameters with it. Uh, something that's popular that I don't see the appeal in. I don't know. Most TV shows, like I really, <laughs> like there's so much prestige TV out there that I've never watched and probably never will. Not because I just don't like, not because I refuse to watch it. It's just like such a huge time commitment. And I'm like, I don't have time for that. Like, um, yeah, I never, I never saw the appeal in Game of Thrones. I would watch a bit of it. Okay. Okay. Next. You know, um, of course, I, I, I didn't care for Game of Thrones before everyone else did in the final season. So uh, other things, I don't know, I guess 
yeah, that's pretty much it. There's most most TV shows out there that are popular and have followings. I just can't be bothered. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. And I think it really is. It's time commitment more than anything else. But that leads me right into question number nine. Boy, I couldn't have planned this any better. And that's, what's the last show that you binge watched or are currently binge watching? Ooh, uh, Bob's Burgers is probably my favorite show to watch a lot of uh, back to back. Um, I do enjoy... Like I, wa- I enjoy watching Nailed It, like with my kids and stuff, especially. Um, other shows I've binge watched. Uh, just finished watching the first season of Ted Lasso. Love that show. That's great. Um, so besides, I think besides that though, that's been pretty much it as far as like the shows I have binge watched, or at the very least, watched a lot of in a short amount of time. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Question number ten. The final question. What is your favorite movie about professional wrestling? Oh, I, 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 I waited for you to say the last part because I have, I have a favorite movie that's not about wrestling. But as far as my favorite wrestling movie, man, I would probably have to say like, I want to say The Wrestler, but it's not true because I can't watch it past like the half, first half hour. Once it gets really dark and depressing, I can't watch it anymore. <laughs> so I, I guess it's fun. Hang on, let me just turn around my collection of movies, uh, my, my bookshelf and just kind of look around like, uh. I don't know there's it's hard like ready to rumble has become a guilty pleasure of mine over the years i still don't like it though for the most part um like slammed honestly like it's one of my favorite wrestling movies because of how bad it is i told you i like really bad things in the wrestles and like slams a really bad wrestling movie <laughs> it is just horrific it's <laughs> um it's about I forget what it's about now. It's about like these guys who want to become like backyard wrestlers or back bar wrestlers. And the oldest son from Home Improvement is in it. And Tiny Lister is there. And oh, well, if Tiny Lister's in it, I know it's good. Yeah. The dad, um, the, 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 not, not Red, but the neighbor dad from that 70s show is in this movie. Um, it's it's just it's, it's a spectacle to behold how bad this movie is and how they got so much stuff wrong. Sasha Mitchell, who is formerly from uh, Step by Step, <laughs> he is in the movie. Uh, I'm trying to think of a serious answer as my favorite wrestling movie. Honestly, now that I think about it, you cannot kill David Arquette. That is my favorite wrestling movie right now, and it's not just because I've got a cameo in it. It's because, like I mentioned earlier, how Arquette ingratiated himself and got him. He kind of earned his way back into like. The wrestling world just through hard work and dedication when like everyone said it was a bad idea uh his story and his his triumphs and his failures are all on display in that movie and i think it's just a really it's a really good one to watch like even if you're not a fan of wrestling like if you can understand the basic story of like redemption and struggle and trying to and, and, and just trying to redeem yourself like that's that's the crux of that story. Like redemption from others, redemption within yourself. Uh, you Cannot Kill David Arquette is a fascinating movie in that respect. So that that is my serious answer. It's my favorite wrestling movie. Yeah, well, that's a great choice because, uh, you know, we had David Arquette on the podcast when the movie came out and we talked about it. And I think uh, it, it's great for all those reasons that you just said. And that's a point that I made was you don't have to necessarily be a pro wrestling fan to find that movie entertaining because it is about it is all about redemption. Uh, but I didn't realize you had a, a cameo. When, uh, in what scene were you in? There's a couple points, and it's also featured in the trailer where there's talking heads talking about, oh, David Arquette, what a, I can't believe he's doing this. And so it's like, it's me and like 
Stephen Larson from the Going and Raw podcast. There's at least one or two other talking heads, but they reached out to me during the production asking to film a couple of things. Like, here's a prompt, riff on this. And so, yeah, I'm there like once or twice. And so, yeah, I think it's a nice little claim to fame that I'm on there. So, um, yeah, go check it out. And again, not just because I'm in it, but because it's a great documentary. You know, when you said The Wrestler, I knew right away that you were talking about the Mickey Rourke movie, but I was kind of secretly hoping you were talking about the night. And Asner and Vern Gagne. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The rest. I mean, you talk about a movie that's so bad. It's good. I can't that recommend is- that highly enough. The wrestler, 1974, Vern Gagne, Ed Asner, uh, man, oh. everybody's in it. Dusty Rhodes, Dick Murdoch. Vince what? senior actually makes a cameo in it. He's got he a, he has a, yeah. A lot of people oh, in that movie. It's, it's so funny. Like, yeah. Watching I have to watch it back again. Billy Robinson is in it. Um, one of the stars yeah yeah he's one of the main guys uh mick bockwinkel's got a bit of a role in it uh yeah it's like that's a real blast in the past like a, a very young or not a rick flair thick flair before the plane crash and before the peroxide in his hair like young rick flair has a scene in that movie too yeah that's uh, what what a, i don't know if you can find it anywhere but man if you can uh, I, mean, I found it on YouTube. When I, when I reviewed it for my channel many years ago, it was on YouTube readily available. I think you can buy bootleg DVDs off eBay or something. But uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. And so, yeah, I, I, I totally forgot about that version of The Wrestler until you said it. But that's, that's definitely, it's one to watch for sure. You can see Ed Asner living out his, fan, his Mary Tyler Moore fantasies with a, with a female co-star who somewhat resembles her. <laughs> so. yes that's right yes i didn't i didn't really buy the uh you know i don't know what was more unbelievable the fact that they tried to pass wrestling off as as legit or that romantic relationship there that that she would be interested in uh, a much older ed asner or maybe he wasn't that much i think ed was one of those guys who looked older than he was but uh yeah ed asner is one of those people who's looked a certain way for the majority of his life kind of like arn anderson has always felt been that range between yeah. like 20 and 60 years old at any given time like same thing with ed asner for the bulk of his career you know i think now he's showing his age a bit finally <laughs> all right well brian before i let you go uh give us your social media information uh tell us where we can follow you and, and obviously you can uh, plug your uh your wrestling with regret channel again yes well that's the big thing to plug obviously is wrestling with regret and it's spelled with a w before the r for alliterative purposes you can find that on YouTube. And in fact, I just started a new wrestling podcast because there aren't enough of them out there in the world called This Week in Regret. And that's its own separate channel. Uh, we're about a month deep into weekly episodes now where my friend Jay Biggs and I just talk about the wrestling news of the day. And so that's out there. So check that out, please. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Z-Man Brian Zane, Instagram at Brian Zane. Uh, facebook.com slash wrestling with regret and find me there uh, also i'm on cameo these days i believe that is also z-man brian's and just look up brian's and you'll find me and i think that's at pro wrestling slash wrestling with regrets another one many fun designs to choose from if you're a fan of that stuff if you're a fan of wearing wrestling shirts i got them for you at pro wrestling <laughs> Um, and there's also, if you're, if you're a fan of wrestling shirts that aren't just black, we've got a splat. We have a variety of colors for you to choose from. We have blue, we have red and we've got yellow and purple. So yeah, if you want a splash of color in your, in your otherwise drab wrestling shirt wardrobe, which Lord knows I've got that too, we've got some color selections. So 
yeah, uh, thank you again for having me on. Uh, this has been a real treat and uh, it's been great just to talk shop. And once again, I'm really excited for Death Before Dishonor weekend happening in a couple months from now. I uh, had a great time in Baltimore for Best in the World. And it's just been a great ride being with Ring of Honor. I can't wait to see what the next chapter holds. Absolutely. And Brian, I want to thank you also for uh, being so gracious with your time today. Really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, now that we're doing shows again and uh, we're not in bubbles, I'm sure I'll see you at the arena. I cannot wait for, I cannot wait for more fans. I cannot wait for more road trips. Um, that's the thing I really missed about ROH and getting that chance to be on the road with the guys and stuff and, 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 and to listen to what they had to say. And to be part of that, that group, the word family gets overused, especially now because there's a big Vin Diesel meme getting thrown around. <laughs> but I believe that there, that there is a family in Ring of Honor. ROH is a family. We all seem to look out for each other. We're all very, it's like, I've been in wrestling locker rooms for, yeah, about 15 years now. And like, this is the most supportive and just kind of like, just nice, friendliest locker room I've been a part of. Uh, you know, so that's just, it, it, to, to me, speaks volumes about the quality of people that are in the company. And I just can't wait to see, again, what the next, what the future and the, the future of shows unfolds for us. Well, I'm going to second uh, your thoughts there. And I've said it on the show before. And, you know, people may think we're blowing smoke, but uh, I'm glad that you, you brought that out. It really is a family-like atmosphere where people look out for each other. You've been in other locker rooms, as you said. I've been in plenty and worked for, you know, different companies. Not to disparage any of them, but uh, I've never seen quite an atmosphere uh, and a um, the camaraderie and and like you said, the sort of you know a lot of obviously everybody in this business has a huge ego, but the sort of checking your ego at the door to an extent and just trying to make everyone succeed and put everyone in the best light. Uh, I've not seen anything like it except what I've seen here in Ring of Honor. So uh, it's it's great to be a part of, and uh, like you, I am just happy to play a small part in Ring of Honor. Well, Brian, thanks again. Like I said, I really appreciate uh, your time. I love talking with you and uh, we'll see you down the road. And I want to thank everybody out there for listening and remind you that a new episode of the ROH Strong Podcast drops every Monday morning on ROHWrestling.com and most podcast platforms. Keep it locked into ROHWrestling.com and ROH's social media channels, at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Also, for the latest ROH news and views, you can read my column, X-Files, every Friday on ROHWrestling.com. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck saying stay safe and let's all be ROH strong.